0: And that's the point where I thought, wow, these guys are coming at it from totally the other side. How did this happen?
1: Hello and welcome to another episode of Cloud9Fin, a podcast about loans, liens, leverage and anything else that's going on in the world of sub-investment grade credit. I'm your host, Will Cager-Smith, and this week I'm joined in the studio by Sasha Padvidri, a senior reporter at 9Fin who recorded the audio that you just heard. So first of all, welcome Sasha and congratulations on your Cloud9Fin debut.
0: Thanks Will, so glad to be doing this finally.
1: So let's talk about that clip we heard at the start, which inspired the article we published earlier this week. So what on earth happened there and where did it happen?
0: Right. So this happened last month at the Super Return US Conference in New York, which is a go-to for participants in the private equity and direct lending space. And this was day three of the conference and the ESG panels was one of the last few of the day. You know, I've never seen anyone disrupt a conference before, so it was really eye-opening for me.
1: Right I remember seeing your video of this protest and thinking wow this is kind of weird and shocking and also extremely awkward as protests at these kind of events often are but also thinking that whoever these guys are they're hitting on something that we've been hearing about and writing about a lot this year by which I mean the kind of growing backlash against ESG but also I thought it it was kind of extra weird because they're coming at it from a completely different direction to a lot of the criticism that we've seen so far this year.
0: Yeah, definitely. So my first reaction was, wow, of all of the PE panels they could have targeted, they chose the ESG panel, you know, where the panelists were actually talking about some great things like decarbonization. But then I realized they were targeting the ESG panel because their argument is that ESG isn't working. But their argument is also based on the idea that PE firms are using ESG to hide fossil fuel investments which is pretty much the complete opposite of all of the anti-ESG rhetoric we've been hearing this year. And that's the point where I thought, wow, these guys are coming at it from totally the other side. How did this happen?
1: Yeah, it's kind of crazy, isn't it? So just to recap, there's been a lot of anti-ESG rhetoric this year. So people criticizing the movement for various reasons. And in the weeks just before this protest, we started to see that escalate into real action. So over the summer, Ron DeSantis banned Florida state pension funds from using ESG to make investment decisions. And then the state of Texas blacklisted BlackRock and some other institutions for their stance on ESG, basically arguing that they were effectively boycotting the oil and gas industry. And then recently, Louisiana and South Carolina and some other red states have done the same kind of thing. They're not just critical of ESG, but they're actually pulling money from big asset managers because of their support of ESG. And obviously, like you said, there's the other end of the spectrum from people like Extinction Rebellion, which is arguing that funds are using ESG to hide investments in fossil fuels. But the one thing both sides seem to agree on is the idea that ESG is somehow being misused or is just not effective and, and not achieving its kind of, uh, its stated goals. So I remember just a few years ago covering ESG and really feeling like it was this increasingly unstoppable force. And now it's just getting hit from all sides. So can you explain how we got to this point?
0: Right? Yeah. So one of the biggest problems with ESG is that everyone seems to have their own definition of what that entails. I think that many people still equate ESG with sustainable fi- financing or green bonds, but in reality, it's just a framework designed to assess a company's exposure to environmental, social and governance risks. One of the things that a lot of the anti-ESG people have said is that changing society for the better is the government's job and that fund managers should just focus on doing their job, which is to you know make money and stay out of politics.
1: Right. So ESG is a lot less direct than impact investing, and it's a kind of diffuse set of principles and measurements. But then there are examples in the credit markets of ESG actually being codified into credit agreements and indentures like sustainability-linked bonds and loans. So just to quickly explain that, the idea of a sustainability-linked debt instrument is to structure a loan or a bond so that the, the borrower is incentivized to do good ESG stuff like reduce emissions or improve gender diversity. And the way that's done is by linking the interest rate of the debt instrument to a target called a KPI. So if the target, if the company fails to meet the the target, they pay a higher interest rate.
0: Right. Yeah. So it makes sense as structure. It's a it's a good idea. But there are examples of the, some of these structures just not really working properly, being kind of, you know, toothless.
1: Right. There's one you mentioned in the article, which is this European biomass producer called Granule Invest. So can you talk a little bit about that?
0: Right. Yeah. So Granule is a European wood pellet producer that is owned by Apollo. They raise some. St- sustainably linked debt last year. And part of that structure was that the interest rate would step up if the company failed to meet certain emissions targets, but that target was set so low. So, you know, Granule met it by the end of the year, which, you know, defeats the purpose of the coupon step up because the drive to reduce emissions is really just no longer there.
1: Yeah, that's pretty funny. And actually there are a lot of inefficiencies like this in ESG. I had a conversation the other day with a CLO manager about how certain companies that are just pretty unequivocally kind of on the worse side of the spectrum in terms of their environmental impact like oil and gas or big polluters like airlines can actually get higher ESG rating scores under some rating methodologies than much greener businesses just because they've pledged to take action on this or that or have maximize their action on the social or governance side to offset their low environmental score.
0: Yeah, so that's the problem with ESG ratings, you know, it ESG is a big broad thing and as we said it's kind of abstract. So unlike credit ratings, it's really hard to apply rigid methodologies without causing some weird anomalies, you know, like Tesla being kicked out of the S&P ESG index and Exxon remaining there. It's really more of an art than science.
1: So that takes us onto the topic of transparency, which it feels like was partly something that drove the Extinction Rebellion protests. So there's an argument that firms are using the ESG label to cover up investments in things like fossil fuels. And then there's also an argument that ESG is being used to boycott energy. And then there's also another argument that ESG is ineffective because it's so hard to define. So there's several kind of not opposing camps but just camps on on various kind of sides of, of this debate here um but it feels like one thing that might help the situation for everyone is is better data and improved transparency right
0: yes absolutely so earlier this week i was at a conference here in new york and i asked the lsta's executive vice vice president of public policy about the esg backlash and that was basically a response, you know, that the recent politicization of ESG is just the reality of where our politics are today. And that, you know, improved transparency could be something of a bridge between both sides of the debate.
1: Yeah, this was actually really interesting. And we have audio of Tess Vermani's response to your question. So let's just play that quickly.
2: Um, well, I think that the um, most of the politicization is in the US. And that is just a reality of where our politics are today. I do think that there is um, often a misconception as to what ESG is, and so um, you know it's probably important, um, and we didn't do this at the start of the panel, but it's probably important to, to, to be increasingly clear about how you're defining ESG when you're talking about it. Because for instance, in the credit space, uh, almost all of the um, ESG integration efforts that I'm aware of are really around um, risk mitigation. Um, and, you know, having that, those ESG inputs for uh, having a kind of fuller risk profile, um, not necessarily um, trying to achieve any kind of impact or that impact investing where, um, you know, I think we've seen that more in, in the equity space. Um, and so it does seem like uh, a lot of the concern around uh, the, the politics of this does have the um, view that it You know, everybody who's looking at this, the entire finance sector, is trying to achieve a certain result. And I I just don't think that that's reflective of um, where we are. I think that, you know, there are are different views. What is sort of universally found right now, and I think apolitical, is the fact that, um, you know, investors want ESG disclosure. They, even if it's not an ESG investment, they want ESG disclosure now. And so, um, you know, managers are sort of it really just the intermediaries, the middlemen between investors making their requests. And I mean, if you look at it at any point, investors have always sort of invested based on their priorities. So um, I think, you know, it's a little bit of a of a pendulum swing, but I also think that um, it's sort of... Um, opponents tend to fear that there's everyone is engaged in impact investing, which I don't think is reflective of the credit space anyway.
1: So I wanted to play that in full because I think it hits upon some really important points and also because it charts a potential way forward in a situation that feels increasingly urgent. And what I mean by that is there's so much noise around ESG right now and that puts people in the financial industry under more pressure than ever maybe to have opinions on this stuff but at the same time they lack the information they need to actually form those opinions because of a lack of transparency and this sort of confusing array of ratings methodologies and their weird anomalistic outcomes and just a lack of good quality data and disclosure in general
0: Yeah, transparency is huge. So recently, Ninefin actually launched its own ESG company data product, and we published a study showing that companies in the leverage credit space are actually disclosing less than 45% of key ESG data points. And, you know, the private equity industry is also not that great at making disclosures. The stat that, you know, Extinction Rebellion protesters were shouting at the conference is actually quite similar to a study published by the Private Equity Stakeholder Project you know, which basically found that 80% of energy investments by PE firms were in fossil fuels.
1: Right. And just to bring it back to transparency, one of the points the private equity stakeholder project made in that report is that regardless of how you feel about PE firms investing in fossil fuels, the issue is that their disclosures around this stuff are often not very good, even though most of these firms have publicly committed to upholding ESG standards, which theoretically should include better disclosure. So basically, the information that people need to incorporate ESG principles and standards into how they allocate investments is all that information is in pretty short supply.
0: Yeah, just like fossil (laughs) fuels.
1: Yeah, well, exactly. Nothing like a bit of gallows humor to galvanize people into action. Well, we should wrap it up there. But Sasha, thanks again for joining us and for all your work on this story.
0: No problem, Will. Thanks for having me.
1: All right. Well, that's all we've got time for this week. Thank you so much for listening. If you enjoyed this episode, please share it with your friends and colleagues. And also, please let us know why you liked it. If you hated it, well, share it with your enemies, I guess. But also, please let us know why you didn't like it. Make sure to check in next week with my colleague Kat Hidalgo in London for the latest on European markets. I'll be back the following Thursday. Until then, as always, take care.